Hello there, uh, I'm Daniel Collins and my family and I, we worship at the Music Row location. Today we're gonna be looking at Mark 10. So if you wanna turn there, uh, we're gonna be looking at verses 17 through 31. There was a gifted businessman and his name was Charlie Jones. And people, people actually referred to him, and I'm not kidding, as tremendous, Charlie Tremendous Jones. Uh, when people would ask him for his advice, he liked to say, look, you're gonna be the same person that you are in five years, except for two things, the people that you meet and the books that you read. Think about that. So the things that go into your head are just as important as the people that you interact with. And now as Christians, I think we can modify that a little bit to say, we're gonna be the same people that we are in five years from now, unless when we read the Bible, we meet Jesus and we encounter the person of Jesus. So particularly as we look at a passage like today, I think there's a temptation to try to extract some practical tips, right? Or some takeaways. Uh, but really our goal, our prayer here today uh, is to encounter Jesus. So let's, let's dive right in. And again, it's Mark 10, starting in 17, and I'll read it. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to them, teacher, all these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his word. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. As we move through this series, the real questions that we're trying to answer, what is it like to imitate Jesus as we share our faith with others? And another question similar to that might be, how do we engage people the way that Jesus did? Okay, so to answer that, let's take a quick look at some of these verses here. Specifically, what do we learn about this rich young ruler by his physical uh, description at the very beginning? What we see is that he ran up and then he knelt before Jesus. So I think what we can take away from that is that he's eager and that he is respectful of Jesus. He has high esteem for Jesus uh, as a member in the community. It's very likely that this rich young ruler is bright, fit, prosperous, uh, successful, uh, gifted, eager to serve, earnest, well-meaning, all these things. Next, what do we learn uh, about Jesus's answer? Okay, and I think this one kind of jumps out at us a little bit, right? Because he says, why do you call me good? And is he denying that he's good? Uh, and I think, I think this is less about Jesus denying that he's good uh, and more about getting the man to reconsider 
uh, what his definition of good is, right? So the fact that the man called him good, Jesus picks up on and realizes that this man understands goodness to be something that is defined by human achievement. Okay, now moving on, what, what do we learn from uh, the commandments that Jesus uh, refers to, right? Uh, and you, you may remember, uh, we, we often think of uh, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, as Table 1 and Table 2. Table 1 is, is, uh, helps us understand what is the right relationship with God. Table 2 uh, would, would is, is really how do we relate to other people, right? So it's a little bit strange uh, if you look at what Jesus' answer is. He's looking at uh, number 6 number seven, number eight, and number nine. So he's, he's really focusing on um, uh, table two, right? And then he throws in this one about uh, defrauding other people. Uh, and and you, you, may, you, may, you may remember that scene in Monty Python when uh, Moses comes out and says, the 15 commandments, <laughs> the 10 commandments, after he drops the, the tablet. Uh, because where does this defrauding one come from? Uh, but I, th I think I think what we what you see with defrauding is that's an application of eight and nine, right? So, but the point is, the point here is is that Jesus is really focusing on table two, right? The how do we relate to other people? Okay. Now look look again at tw verse twenty one. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Have you ever witnessed somebody, maybe somebody you know very well, who uh, is encountered by a stranger? Uh, and just on, as soon as that person engages them, they, you can tell that this person, this person you know, loves that person on, on first time, first instinct. And it's, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, that's rare to see. I think um, uh, this is something that people would say about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, uh, is that as soon as uh, he interacted with somebody, it doesn't matter if it was a, a stranger, uh, a disabled child, uh, a kid on set, uh, or a mean journalist. Uh, there was something about Mr. Rogers where his glow would come on. He would light up uh, in affection for these people. And I think that's, that's exactly what uh, Mark, and uh, via Peter, uh, is saying here, is that Jesus has kind of come alive to this guy for some reason. Why would he do that, right? What, what would have caused that? Well, look back to what the rich young ruler says, uh, and what, what is this question really asking? And what's underneath his question? And I think, I think what we can kind of pick up from, from this question is essentially him saying, listen, I'm doing everything right. I'm successful. Uh, I'm engaged in my community. I, I actually want to do the right thing. Uh, and yet, and yet uh, there's still some nagging, something missing. Behind this facade of security, there's, there's actually a heart of de devoid of, of security. Uh, this man is, is kind of doing all the right things, and yet he does not uh, delight in his relationship with God. Uh, he seeks the approval of God, but he, he really lacks something, and he's not sure what it is, and he's, that's why he's asking Jesus. So in other words, you can kind of keep all the individual commandments all day long. You can kind of check all the boxes, but there's really no, there's no substitute for an all-in surrender uh, to the, the all-encompassing kind of burning furnace of God. Um, so this, this idea of denying yourself, taking up your cross, is really a renunciation of the, the checklist that you are, pr are proud of or that we've, we've done since our youth, right? Nietzsche liked to say, um, he liked to say that the New Testament, the Bible, the New Testament is really full of some really radical stuff. And if it, really, if it wasn't for some of the Christian theologians, we would probably all take it a lot more seriously.
I think that kind of gets to the point of as fallen creatures, uh, we're always kind of doing one of two things. We are either kind of rationalizing away the commands or we're finding some way to uh, manage them in a way that we can kind of have a checklist and we, uh, we can kind of check them off so we don't feel bad about the real condition of our heart. And so I think, I think that's really what, where I want to go next is this question of what Jesus tells this rich young ruler, does it apply to us all, right? And is it something that is a kind of general prescription for all of believers. To answer that, uh, and this obviously has caused a lot of uh, discussion over uh, the centuries, uh, but I, I think what we can do to it here is look at verse 21. Uh, and specifically, you, you, you see Jesus' answer. He says, you lack one thing. If you think about that, what is he saying there with you lack one thing? I think actually he's agreeing with, with uh, the rich young ruler. Um, he's not disputing the fact that the rich, rich, rich young ruler has said that he's done all these things. He's, he's not, he's not uh, refuting him or disputing him. He's, he's somewhat to, uh, agreeing with him. But I think the most telling part of this answer, you lack one thing, is really that what he's about to say next is something that's specific to this guy's condition, right? To this guy's uh, specific circumstances. Next section, right, 23 through 31. Don't have quite as much time to spend on this. There's a, there's a lot here. Um, the, the main things that I think what we see Jesus saying um, in, in driving this point home is that it is so easy to become attached to, uh, to the wealth of our own. Uh, it could be financial. Uh, it could be um, our accomplishments. It could be any number of things. But, but I think particularly, let's just think about it in terms of wealth. Um, this is, it has a particular danger to help us kind of create this false sense of security where uh, we can rely and trust and depend on ourselves. It blinds us, right? And so I think that'd be something as a group to, to be talking about is like, hey, in what ways does it blind us? In what ways does it uh, kind of give us this sense of security, uh, whereas we don't really find uh, self-surrender or denying ourselves necessary? And we lose the fact that salvation is really beyond the scope of our own uh, accomplishments. Uh, it's something we, we need Jesus for. Um, okay, so money has that power over us. Uh, and that's really, I think, what we're seeing in, in verses 23 through 31. Um, and, and Jesus is saying to... to uh, Further, I think he's saying, listen, of course, you, 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 know, you, you can't commit sins, adultery, defrauding people, murdering people. Um, but if you just repent of doing the, the big things, the bad things, all that's really going to do is make you a religious person. Um, so if you, if you want intimacy with God, if you want to move past the nagging kind of religi religiosity um, to get over that nagging sense, then you have to change not only how not doing bad things, but how you relate to your good things, right? How you understand your gifts, uh, your success, and the good things uh, that, that you've been given. Okay, so I, I want to uh, keep pushing a little bit on this wealth thing um, and really trying to help us understand uh, how, uh, I think, particularly in the West, is in, in a fluent country, we, we can kind of skip over this part, right? Uh, the year after Betsy and I uh, got married, we moved to, to Ethiopia. Uh, and we were in Addis Ababa with Andy and Bev Warren's uh, AIDS care and uh, treatment uh, prevention program. 
Um, and we would go on house visits. And Asababa is 8,000 feet elevation, uh, and you're kind of mixed in with diesel fumes and eucalyptus uh, and these just beautiful Arabian, proud uh, Ethiopian people uh, who live in just absolute destitute poverty. And we, you go into their house, and it's essentially a lawnmower shed. And they trip over themselves to, to give you everything that they have on hand. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a very powerful thing to be on that side, uh, to be given something that you don't need or uh, deserve, uh, and yet they're so eager to give. And you, you don't really ever come back to America the same, right? And I, and I think it's, it's a radical experience, and I think it's, it's really what happens in Luke 21, where the widow gives the two copper coins. And Jesus says, you know, all the rich people are going by and putting in the money, but it's the widow giving the two copper coins more than she gave more than anyone else. And so being on that receiving end is, is a, it's a transformational uh, experience. Um, similar in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, the believers in Macedonia, they're under persecution, and yet they're overflowing with gratitude. Uh, a wealth of generosity is what, what Paul says there. Uh, if you look at that first two verses, uh, 2 Corinthians 8. Um, so they're not known for their wealth of materials, but they're known for their wealth of generosity. Uh, and I think when, particularly when you're on that receiving end, you just, it, it's, it's super humbling. I think you kind of get the same thing in Psalm 135, where he talks about, uh, the psalmist says, uh, the, the, the idols of the nations are, are silver and gold and Bitcoin, right? And he goes on to say, these things are the work of human hands. They, have, they don't have hands, they can't speak, they don't have eyes, they don't have ears. Later in, in Psalm 135, he says, when you chase those things, you become like them, right? You become someone without ears, eyes, and mouth. And humans, in this sense, we, we all kind of prioritize wealth uh, above uh, everything else. Um, and so I think doing a major rethink on the way we approach our own material security is, is a great way to, to think, uh, to realize, I think sometimes we want to go, well, that's, we can't have the good things. It's actually God protecting us uh, from becoming kind of these inanimate, cold, lifeless people. Uh, particularly, I think, as you wake up and you've hit your retirement number and you realize how empty it is. Next, I, I want to just kind of tell a quick story about uh, William Wilberforce. Many people know him as uh, the great British abolitionist who's labored his entire life uh, to abolish the slave trade. And, and actually, three days after it was abolished, he, he passed away. Uh, but what a lot of people don't realize about him is he wrote this book called Practical Christianity, where he explores basically what is an authentic expression of Christianity, of Christian faith, versus this cultural expression. Uh, and the whole book is, is him trying to understand kind of what the difference is, right? Um, and, and how do those things uh, work them, themselves out? And, and so much of it is what in our life reflects something different than our, than our peers, right? So one thing he talks about is, is generosity. And it, generosity is actually a, an act of rebellion, particularly when we live in a consumer material society, radical gratitude, radical generosity uh, is something that you can't really do unless you live inside of God's promises, right? I think that's what's so important about what Jesus is calling us to. And in much the same way that keeping the Sabbath, it's not something that we do because it helps, it helps us attain salvation, right? Um, but instead, it's a practice that bears tremendous implications uh, as countercultural peculiar people, people with, with really different, vastly different kingdom priorities. Um, it's something that, that we do. 
in other words, I think r radical giving uh, is a response to what Jesus has done. It's not something that we do, it's something that we respond. Particularly in your group here, we can, this is something we can be talking about. What, what does, uh, as, as practitioners, uh, shalom people, what does it mean to be uh, and to undertake radical gratitude and generosity with our things, right? And so I think with uh, Ephesians 4, 28, the, really the whole point of working, the reason why we work, sure, you got to stop stealing if you're stealing, but the real point of work is so that we can share. Like, that's the whole point. Um, so the questions I think that we, we want to be asking here is, you know, what ways can we become more extravagant, reckless, uh, prolific, uh, prodigious, givers. Um, and, and I think that would be something as a group to, for us to really think through. Uh, and then particularly, you know, I think it's easy, I think, for a lot of us at the end of the year, kind of December, to kind of look back over our finances and do the lump sum give. Uh, and hey, we did our tithing. We checked the box, right? But what does that really say about us? And how, how is that because we are trying to make sure we get through the year and then whatever's left over we give? Uh, is it something that we're mainly motivated as a tax write-off, right? And, and what would it mean to, instead of waiting to December to see what's left to give, like what if, what if that becomes something in our daily practice that, that we do? Okay, and you can think about C.S. Lewis who gave, he did the reverse tithe, right? He, he, he decided, I'm gonna choose to live off 10% and I'm gonna give away 90. So we can really kind of continue to asking ourselves, okay, how do we use the good things in our life? Do we use them to bless other people or do we use them to make ourselves feel better, to make ourselves feel good, right? And Jesus is saying, we often put our faith and trust in our wealth and our accomplishments and not in things that, that matter. And that, that, that effort is really, is the thing alienating, giving us that nagging sense uh, underneath. Okay, so really in closing, I really want us to kind of finish up here and look back to what we learn uh, and what is Jesus' model of evangelism, right? And what, how, how does Jesus relate to this, to this young man, and how do we learn from it, right? So I think the very first thing you, you, we, we realize is that his approach, it originates in this posture of love back to, to the man. So that's table stakes, the very beginning. The next thing here is that Jesus doesn't really shame, he, he does not shame the guy. He does not really d refute him or call him out or in some ways try to expose him, embarrass him. I think sometimes we want to, when we see people doing the wrong thing, we, we kind of take joy in brutal honesty, right? Um, but that's, we, we all struggle with divided hearts and conviction has to arise from within. So we, we have to help people really see their see into their own hearts and you can only do that if you care for them first so i think that's what what jesus is doing here to help this guy understand um and then really we're, we're asking questions to understand them right if you show that you care for them um that is that's really the only way that we can encourage them to rethink their own uh perspectives or to think secret devotions right uh and without being uh, intrusive so I think those are, those are the main things that I think are really important for us to understand and how Jesus relates to this man. Uh, and we can really only do these things when, when our relationship with Jesus is what's driving it, right? Because if it's a, if it's a list of things to check off, we're not going to be able to do, have that posture of love. The question that we want to ask ourselves is, you know, does Jesus' uh, accomplishments, are you moved by it? Are you, does it amaze you? Does it cause you to weep? 
has, has Jesus' sacrifice caused you to melt? Uh, and when those things are driving you and you're responding to that, uh, I think that's when you're able to speak to other people who, who, may, who maybe have dramatically different views than you uh, in a way that's, that's helpful. Uh, you can think of uh, Joseph Hart's hymn from uh, 1759, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. And this is a direct uh, from Isaiah 55. And he says, Come ye needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify, true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come to Jesus Christ and buy. And may our, may our hearts be, our hearts and our mind and our behaviors be shaped by that profound reality, not by uh, ideas or rules uh, or a system or an ideology uh, and not a couple, not three more steps down the self-improvement treadmill, uh, but may the risen and resurrected Jesus, who enters into our midst, God's free bounty glorify. Thank you.